Welcome to another episode of Pilgrim Talk Theology for Sojourners. Pilgrim Talk is a weekly podcast devoted to the Christian faith for the Christian sojourner as they make their way to the heavenly city. I'm John Sweat. I'm Dylan Harrison. And today we're going to talk about... Church community. Church community. Yeah. The community of your church, I think, would be a better direct application. The folks in the building that have community together or the some some might say the covenant community Covenant-ing. yeah wise churches name themselves that to try to pick up on that biblical emphasis yes yes very wise churches joking aside i like that we start every podcast with a little bit of lightheartedness that's a way just, to get warmed up yeah just a little bit and then we we go into it so when we're talking about church community john we are trying to Build with the bricks that Christ has given us is the way I think about it. I'm sure we'll get there, but the analogy in Ephesians of building it brick by brick, the church being built brick by brick, because what you're building something with or building it on can affect the structure way later on, years later. That that one bad brick can cause some big problems for the life of that structure. So anytime we're talking about something here that might seem something that doesn't matter or someone can say, oh, I'm indifferent to that. We're we're talking about it because we truly think that the Bible describes it as an unhealthy building block. Am I right in thinking that way? Yeah, it's very interesting to me that you have people who they'll make much about something like what the Bible says about parenting and the family, but the Bible actually says more about the church than it does about the family. Yet it's and viewed as a subjective take it or leave it. It's basically viewed, and we're talking about even by churches that would consider themselves to be Reformed, Calvinistic, they would say, hey, we, we have a high view of our doctrine of God, we have a high view of Scripture. But when it comes to the doctrine of the church, it's really kind of subjective and whatever works. Yeah. It's very interesting to me. Pragmatic. Very pragmatic to me. And so when I begin to talk with someone about the church, I quickly get, well... People are being saved at our church, and we're baptizing people. What's wrong with the way that we're doing it? Yep. God obviously supports us. Why don't you? God uses crooked (laughs) sticks all the time. And and we say that to preface this episode simply because, you know, we might be talking about some things that could ruffle some feathers a little bit, but in a way that is out of love and humility. So let's talk about community in the church. The biggest thing I think we should start with, and I'm sure there's many other places to get started— how is church community different than worldly community? Can we start there? And you think yeah from there? Yeah, I think we can start there. I you know the question really is that we're asking in one sense is is the community in your church built upon the gospel, you know, supernatural special grace? Yeah. Or is it built upon common grace? And what I mean by common grace is it's the 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 common benevolence of God that is given to all image bearers who are fallen in Adam. So what I mean by that is I can go to my kids. Well, this year they're playing soccer for the first time. So let's say I go to their I'm soccer sorry. game. Dude, 
You just derailed me big time there. I'm triggered. <laughs> I can go to my kid's soccer game and or find baseball. another parent there, and they can be an unbeliever. And be, by virtue of the fact that we're both humans, made in God's image, we live in this world, we can find some points of commonality and maybe even build a, a friendship there. But they're not. there's nothing supernatural about that friendship. Hmm. We maybe vote the same way. Both of our kids play soccer. Maybe we're into the same sports teams, same hobbies. There's nothing supernatural required there for me and that fellow to be in community with to get together. Right. I could go to a community club in the community and get along just fine. The the question we're asking is is your church different than that described there? Does right. the relationship between you and your other church members in your church require something greater than just yep. common interests? And I think an important qualifier there just to expand on a little bit is the community in your church greater than that? And I would say even greater than agreeing on certain theological topics. And I'm trying to make the distinction there. Just because you ag- agree to the same confession of faith, your community should go past that, I think, to yeah. an extent. It wouldn't be devoid of agreement. Right. Obviously, you truth, must. Ephesians but... 4. But... <laughs> There is, there is, we're talking about here the power of the gospel right. that takes people who are in many sense, many senses d- different in the way that they were brought up and how much money they make, the kind of the jobs that they have, some, some of their political leanings that I think are less explicit in scripture, right? Some, some secondary things there. And all of those diversities that in the world would, would drive a wedge between people we come to the church, and hopefully by the power of the gospel, because that's the center of that community, yep. those people are united together, endeavoring to maintain the spirit of unity amongst one another and their family. If you have a Christian family, biological family, and, and most people in your family are Christians, praise the Lord. But you have an even, I think, closer family in those who are part of the body of Christ. Yep. And so, you know, we're asking the question, is your 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 church community can it thrive regardless of the gospel what i'm asking is i talked to lots of people like dude my church community is great the single moms get together we have a young adults group we spend lots of time together outside of church what i'm saying is let's peel back and see is this these relationships that you're talking about you're talking about how great your community is in your church if we stripped away if we took away the gospel, okay. would those communities still be the same? Then if it is, then all you have there is just you just have a a naturally bonded community that you can get anywhere in the world. Right. You don't need the church for that. We're talking about the church community needing needing the gospel. Yeah. And what we're not saying is that those types of ties are unhealthy or sinful. Or sinful. Oh, especially not that. We're saying is or asking is your church built on those mm. are you is the building blocks of your community these superficial or non-spiritual or non-supernatural aspects and that is what your community is built on instead of being built on the gospel and then yes there will be similar interests of course there will be you know in our church you have a lot several young mothers they're going to text each other a lot you know, that's mm-hmm. just by nature of it if you have uh, similar interests, you're going to be involved in somewhat in those similar interests or 
even introducing your interests to others in the community. We're not saying those things are sinful. We're not saying those things are unhealthy. We're saying they can't be the building blocks of the community in your church. Mm. So I think we should go ahead and go to Matthew chapter 5 to introduce what we should be in, in where we see that in Scripture. Matthew five forty six and 47. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? Mm. How do we see that in this conversation? Yeah, so the, the point is here is we are, are, are really trying to show that the community within the church is rooted and built upon primarily the gospel, the supernatural work of the gospel, not our similar life experiences, not our identity, well, identity outside of Christ, what I mean there, not a similar cause that we're rallied together to, to accomplish, right. not similar needs, similar social positions, but rather that the gospel is the thing that must be, that our church community must be built upon. And I think Matthew 5, while not directly talking about church, hits on something here, right? What is your reward if you love those who love you? Yeah. There's nothing required of you there. Mm -hmm. That's the easiest thing you can do is love someone who can love you or give to someone who you know can give back to you. Yeah. It says something differently when you love someone who doesn't love you back or isn't the same as you or when you give to help someone who... They, they have no ability to give you back, no ability to repay you, no ability to do any of those things. And I think Matthew is getting on sort of uh, a, a contrast here between the love that the Christian is to have and the love that an unbeliever has. And we're, again, the question is, does the love you have for your other church members just a regular love that you would find in the world, or is it something that is rooted in the supernatural love of God and the gospel? And, and while Matthew isn't directly talking about the church there, like you said, I think if we go to Ephesians chapter 2, we are getting closer to the local church being described and being shown in Scripture. Do we want to read 11 through 22 or just kind of summarize? Yeah, no, let's read it, man. Let's read it. I got it right here. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at the t- that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For, by he, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Verse 16, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have, a- have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so here we see these two groups of people, Jew and Gentile, brought 
into one in Christ as a new man, as a dwelling place of God. Those who were not part of the covenants of promise, not part of the, the people yeah. of God in the Old Testament, and brought one in Christ. So what the, the amazing thing is we look at today, Dylan, the things that separate us with the other image bearers around us, and they seem so big. Yeah. And I would say that none of those things even come close to the separation that was found between the Jews and the Gentiles. Yeah, I think to call it simply one type of separation would be a disservice to what we're really talking or what is really being talked about here in Ephesians. I often see this only applied in the in like racial terms that okay mm-hmm. it's it's Jew and Gentile that is and they compare it to you know race relations and I don't even like that term and I would go into a whole whole thing I'm going to use the word ethnicity in mm. this case ethnic differences between the two people groups but we're talking so much more of a divide than that than in America today or in the last any amount of time we're talking he even says that the wall of hostility Mm. that has been built up between the Jew and the Gentile here. Everything we're talking from the clothes worn to the food eaten to the God prayed to to every imaginable thing, it is not compatible between these two. It's, mm. It is the extreme opposite of the community we were just describing. Mm. There is no similarity. They would not meet each other at a baseball game and hit it off just fine. It's not going to happen. Mm. We're talking such an extreme divergence of everything that only the gospel could have brought them together. Uh, and we see that here in in Ephesians and it leading to um, that building of the structure in verse 20 through 22 by in Christ by the spirit. Mm. And founded on the word of God. It talks about being built on the apostles and the prophets with Christ as the cornerstone. That is the doctrine of the Bible, essentially. And it's almost disheartening to compare that to the, air quotes, diversity that's being pursued, I would say, in America today and especially in its churches, where the only metric of diversity is ethnicity. Mm -hmm. That's it. Is your church diverse? What they're really asking is, are there multiple ethnicities in your church? That is it. We have achieved it. We are a multicultural church. There are white people, black people, and Hispanic people in the room together. We have achieved diversity. But my well, – go ahead. Well, I was just going to say the – the so that can be – that can be. Okay, Absolutely. We, that can be – well, it can be a good thing, but what I was going – that could be – a mere similar social pursuit that a diverse group of ethnic people pursue. Yeah. And the thing that unites them is that pursuit. Of diversity. And not the gospel. Because what I was about to say is, but you see that at Facebook. You see that at pull up any Fortune 500 company. And they are united in pursuing that diversity above all else. So obviously that isn't the total definition of gospel community and diversity. Yes, there can be an element to it of of ethnic diversity as part of the diversity in the church, but it's not the sole goal above all else. And I think it's often viewed as the primary thing that must be overcome in the church, ethnic diversity. That we are somehow so disconnected between two different ethnicities that that's the big hurdle for community in the church 
is is multicultural or multi-ethnic churches. And I just think that is doing an injustice to what we see here in Ephesians, talking about the dividing wall of hostility between doing Jew and Gentile. And it divides where there should be no division. Not to go into too much of a tirade, I have a close friend of mine. He is not the same color as me. He's not from the same culture as me. I grew up in the country and the American South. He was born in the Caribbean on an island and moved to South Florida in grade school through to college. In every way, we are culturally different from how we grew up to how our, our interests up till adulthood, even the kind of churches that we would have went to, been completely different, me and this friend. However, and I'm not talking gospel here, because of the people we became, we have some similar interests and we're best friends. Mm -hmm. It took nothing to overcome the fact that we're from different parts of the world, the fact that we grew up eating different kinds of food, all of these supposed cultural barriers that are so difficult to overcome. I mean, okay, we both played video games and like the same books. Overcome, done. Right. So that can't not be what we're talking about if it can be done outside of the gospel. So that churches focus solely on that above all else makes me concerned about the type of community being built in churches today. Whereas myself and another member of our church, we don't have anything in common. We happen to be the same skin color in this example, and we have diversity only in Christ. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's the only thing we have in common is Christ, and mm -hmm. he's my brother because of it. Mm -hmm. and, and it is a diversity that goes beyond worldly diversity. If you were to put me and these two brothers in the same room, the world would look at me and the other white individual and say, well, they don't have a lot of stuff to overcome, so they're probably going to be good together. Then they would look at me and, and my black friend, and they would say, well, there's so much divide. Oh, and he grew up in another, another country, essentially. Oh, man, there's going to be so many cultural barriers to overcome. They're going to struggle with that. But it's not further from the truth. So that, that it only was through Christ that me and this brother have unity is what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And we had unity outside of Christ that was deepened by the unity in Christ, that now we're not talking about our favorite books that we read last week. We're talking about the Word of God mm -hmm. that we read last week or this morning or whatever. So I don't – and I went on a little bit longer of a tirade than I probably should – I don't like seeing ethnic diversity paraded around the church. Right, as is, the end-all be-all. Yes, it is important in, in different ways to different churches, and we could go into that. It should not be belittled when it is achieved. Mm -hmm. It should be celebrated, mm -hmm. but it is not the end goal. Right. The end goal is unity in Christ above all else. Mm. Not, New humanity. Exactly. We are not to try to strip away ethnic identity, and I hate to even use that term because of how it's adopted by you know some worldviews, but rather we are to celebrate that even though we are diverse, we are unified in Christ. So that's a longer conversation we could probably have on a whole episode. However, for the sake of this one, ethnic diversity, cultural diversity is important. It is not the end game result or goal for the Christian church. So it shouldn't, in my opinion, be 
be a primary metric by which your community is measured. Now, That's a good point. What I, when I say that, we're, we're speaking to largely an audience that probably has a similar, I would imagine a similar church background and upbringing or, or in some way similar today. What I mean is there are churches, large churches in our direct community, in our state and nationwide that directly are measuring ethnic minorities as church success. We are not a true church unless we have X percentage of ethnic minorities in our doors every Sunday. Mm. We are not a true church. They will use true, healthy church unless we have a certain percentage of certain colored people in our church. So I'm pointing towards a problem that people might not realize is actually there because in many of our churches, I imagine it's not a metric that is being judged. But as you interact with other Christians uh, in the world, that is an a w- underlying worldview that is, I think, crept into the church from the world. And I, and I think it's harmful because we're building false community out of it and we're going into false community now. So Yeah, I think it makes the diversity the, the end-all be-all of a gospel community rather than the end-all be-all the gospel which yeah. then celebrates the diversity yep. that has occurred because of Christ. Notice the reconciling factor here. The thing that moves the text is the work of Christ. Yep. Not the Jew and Gentile distinction, but rather Christ, the one who brings us new humanity, right? If in Adam we are fallen in sin as image bearers, yep. and, and by virtue of sin, there is going to be factions, partiality, divisions amongst us regardless of our eth- the divisions go far beyond ethnicity yep you've you've mentioned a few here southerner northerner married single white black rich age. poor, age different political commitments preferences personalities interest because of our sin we are going to try to fraction and 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 isolate ourselves and and put ourselves with only people like us the beauty of the gospel is takes those diversities breaks them down and brings reconciliation through the blood of Christ, making a new humanity. Yep. And that speaks of the power of the gospel, where you take people in our world that are clearly at odds with one another, enemies to one another, and then you look in the church and you see those same people, not, not exact same people, but yeah. same, same people with all the reason that they should be enemies, and yet they are one in Christ. Yep. That is the power of the gospel, and that is a gospel-revealing yep. community. And they have to be... A true community. We we can fast forward a little bit to the next chapter of Ephesians, Ephesians ten, excuse me, three and verse ten, which he reveals the mystery of the gospel to the Gentiles, and he's building even more upon what we've talked about in Ephesians two. But then he gives it the purpose in verse ten, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places, that we are revealing God's wisdom and God's glory in this act. So when they look at the church and see these worldly sinners (laughs) separated by so many things, unified in Christ, that needs to look very different than when they look to corporate America or they look to academia, or they look to any of these other institutions and see that version of separated people unified under something. Because we're revealing the glory and the nature and the wisdom of God, Mm. not of man. Mm. Man being glorified and revealed wise is your board has to be X percentage of Y chromosomes. (laughs) 
and you can't have more than this many of this type of person in your company. That's, that reveals the glory and the wisdom of man, which isn't that glorious and isn't that wise. So we need to be clearly different as the church to point to the glory and the wisdom of God. And I think getting into our next points, we are building – we could be building systems and building practices within the church that do not strive towards that goal. Again, I don't want to call them unhealthy in and of themselves, some of the things we're getting to, but they can point towards revealing the glory and the wisdom of man and not the glory and the wisdom of God. And some of these methods, I think, could be hurdles to true gospel community. I think there are many ways to do them wrong and very few ways to do them right. What are some of those things that we are seeing in the church that point to the wisdom of man, not the wisdom of God? Yeah, so basically there's there's these sort of methods or additions to this this gospel-revealing community. <laughs> I think you called it Gospel Plus. Yeah, Gospel Plus. <laughs> it reminded me of like a subscription service. Yeah, yeah. Like, this go. is Gospel this Plus. This is Gospel Plus. We got the gospel, but we also got yeah. this. We've got uh, – For, for nine ninety nine a month, you yeah. can get – We got a program, <laughs> a babysitting program for your kids. Yeah. So there is a sort of approach of kind of a seeker-sensitive church. Yeah. Do we, let me let's let's go through these and then we'll go back and hit them. So seeker sensitive church, kind of a low commitment view of church. You just kind of come, get plugged in as you feel comfortable. Maybe no membership. Uh, we're really not going to ask a whole lot of you. Yeah. Other than, other than your attendance. Other than your and your and maybe a little bit of cash and maybe a little cash. Yeah. As the Lord leads. Yeah. Someone's got to pay for the lights. And the, the two hundred thousand dollar sound system. Yeah, there's this sort of consumerism approach where we're going to kind of give you L.A. cart Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a little bit for this crowd, a little bit for that crowd, and you just kind of go in and pick. Oh, you don't like green beans? You don't like the Doctor of Election? Well, we'll you can come over here to VBS and we'll give you just some good old Jesus. Say that <laughs> prayer. Age specific ministries can. Yeah, I think we're getting into some some territory here. Can be can can be can be a hindrance to a gospel revealing community. And then this sort of hired staff approach to ministry. So we're gonna we're gonna hire people full time to oversee these various ministries. We need to hire someone for hospitality. We need to hire someone for older people to minister to them. Can be can be appropriate, but what often happens is well, we're gonna we're getting yeah, into we'll the get specifics. There. We'll get so there. Those, those would be some there, I think, and we can kind of go back through those. But those would be some of the ways that I think add are added to the gospel, gospel plus, and then they de- they detract and prohibit the church community from being a gospel-revealing community. So if we want to run through them point by point, I think seeker-sensitive will be kind of the quickest to go over. There are no seekers to be sensitive to. So why are you seeker-sensitive? Right, Romans 3. Yeah. No one is desiring and seeking Christ. There are people seeking something that they don't understand, but they could find that in anything and be satisfied because they're of the world. And I think it has flipped the purpose of the Lord's Day worship over on its head, where even if you were to have something outward facing, if you will, because they'll try to repackage seeker sensitive and say, well, you're just not being, you know, evangelicals anymore you're not being you're not evangelizing the community even if you were to say i have a high importance on evangelizing the community it would not be during the lord's day worship 
it would be the Lord's Day worship is equipping the members of the church and building them up to go and do those works in the community. Evangelism isn't do you want to come to isn't simply do you want to come to church on Sunday with me? But and, you should invite your friends to church. Absolutely. But you should invite them to church and more. Right now, and coffee and dinner and building if you will building up evangelism in their lives before they ever hit the door of the church yet in many seeker sensitive churches that we, you know th- that we would label seeker sensitive churches they don't put that on their signs it's as if you have the speaking pastor on stage is the only person who can do evangelism our mission is to get people there get them comfortable and support him doing that I don't even think that should be the mission of the church, much less, and I mean Lord's Day worship, that service, much less is that unhealthy or not. Let's do this. Anything to add to that? Yeah, I would say let's start with with explaining seeker-sensitive because I can hear someone um, saying, so here's what we mean. Seeker-sensitive church model is basically the view that Lord's Day worship is for evangelism. So we're going to do whatever we can, use whatever methods we can. Some churches are more liberal with this and some are not. Come, but we're, come we're, get a gift card. Come get a gift card. <laughs> a Sunday at the movies. Yeah. Uh, a church I know did a series called Fifty Shades of Grace. Wow. I'm not even kidding. Okay. And But Sunday is for one purpose, evangelism. Yep. It's not for the edification of the saints. It's not for God's people to gather and worship. What we're saying is that is not the purpose of Lord's Day worship. Correct. The purpose of Lord's Day worship is for believers. Yep. It is for the local church yep. to sing praises to our God and to be equipped and to encourage one another yep. to continue in the faith. Now, here's some caveats. Does that mean that we don't then preach the gospel each Opposite. Sunday? Opposite. No, actually, we believe that, that the gospel is both for believers and unbelievers, and even the believer needs the gospel mm-hmm. preached every— And Paul even gives instructions— in case there are unbelievers, unbelievers amongst, amongst you. you, but it's in case. In case it's the exception. It's the exception. And so we we certainly want unbelievers to come. Absolutely. We certainly want to be inviting and welcoming for someone who might come that's an unbeliever. Please come. Come and see the gospel made visible through this community of yep. diverse people in unity, singing praise to their God. Yep. And so there's all those things. But what I often see is there's like you already hit this. There's no seekers, right? Yeah. Here, here's my thing to the seekers sensitive church. You can't outworld the world. Yeah. Like, the, you, you, you can't just, compete with Hollywood. You can't compete with Hollywood. Yeah. And the reality is, if I'm an unbeliever and I can come to the church and get a worse version of what I can, what I can just get in the world, why would I even come? Yeah. Like, now maybe it makes me feel sentimental. Maybe it makes me feel good. Maybe it makes me feel like I'm a moral person. And there's lots of reasons why unbelievers attend church for those reasons. But the primary purpose of the church is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry and to sing praise to our God. Yeah. And the secret sensitive model, what it does is it is it imports common love, common similarities into the church and says, hey, Sea World, we've got these things here. Come on in. Yeah. We want you to be here. And then when they get there, like, oh, tricked you. Here's the gospel. Yeah. And oftentimes it's. Yeah, we, we, Lim might have been the one that I'm borrowing or expanding this from. Make them feel like welcome guests, not like family. Right. Because they're not. Mm-hmm. They are welcome but they're not comfortable because by nature, someone who's a sinner cannot feel comfortable, and I'm using that term loosely, hearing the gospel preached. There should be a level of, whoa, I'm getting convicted of my sins here, um, in love, in humility, 
we're not talking about the the false ways of doing this where you just berate people for an hour and and that's what you call preaching the gospel but they should feel like welcome house guests but not like family and i think i think that kind of wraps up seeker sensitive i think because yeah. we could talk about that yeah, for another yeah. hour as we move into the next one low commitment i think this one's more seen i think as we get through this list we are applying more and more directly to the people listening to the podcast here so low commitment what do we mean when we say low commitment meaning it it, it is basically there there's a model of church where church membership is not important Right. If it is you, you know, you you stand up from the church, hey, you're a member, and that's it. There's nothing required of you towards the body. There's mm-hmm. nothing required of the body towards the you. It's basically to get your name on a roll, and really so the church can feel good about itself. Oh, look, we got someone else. But most churches today, I mean, most churches, it's no membership, show up. Well, you only got to go as deep as you feel comfortable. And that's really contrary to what I see in the scriptures and the one and others. There is a high stake game for the individual Christian to be involved in the lives of other Christians in their local church. Should we do that to Christians that we randomly meet? Sure. Mm -hmm. But there's a level of commitment and responsibility to one another in a covenant community. Ding, ding. Ding, ding. In a covenant community where there are, there are stakes in the game, where there are yeah. things that are at stake here, where we are to, I mean, if you read Hebrews 3, encourage one another so long as it is called today. I mean, there, there's some weight there. there yeah. There's some seriousness there. And what low church commitment does is it destroys um, the depth of the church. Yeah, it's it's sort of come when you feel like it, pop out when you don't feel like yeah. it. We're not going to ask anything of you or expect anything of you. Just feel comfortable yeah. staying as an immature Christian who's self-centered and don't you don't care about anyone else. Yeah, and it even affects every aspect of a church that works that way. There is a popular church planting movement that will even model the yearly sermons of their church plants around low commitment, right? In their direct media to their church plants, they will say something along the lines of, during valentine's day the holidays the fall you're gonna preach messages that are topical based on what time of the year it is so valentine's day we're gonna do a thing on love and in the fall we're gonna do a thing on the harvest and how we're reaping the harvest and and all that kind of stuff then they'll specifically say now when summertime hits most people are probably not gonna be there because they're not committed so now with your core audience you can talk about prayer and maybe some discipleship but then when summer ends and everybody comes back be ready with some big wow topical thing so they're not only aware of low commitment in their church they're building around Mm -hmm. low commitment in their church they Mm -hmm. are taking that building block and it's real deep in the foundation of how even they preach supposedly the word of God. So this isn't a debate, if you will, on does your church practice healthy membership or not. That's part of it, but it Mm -hmm. extends to the other aspects of your church, including presenting the gospel on a weekly basis. So often churches that aren't directly focused or seeker-sensitive are accused of not preaching the gospel regularly. 
yet we see churches that are seeker sensitive and low commitment. They're the ones that actually don't preach the gospel often because they're so focused about getting people in the door and keeping them there and comfortable. Mm. So we're going to preach for six weeks on love. And how can you preach on love for six weeks and never talk about the love of Jesus on the cross? Mm. I don't I don't know how that's compatible. Or being poured out on our hearts by the Spirit. Exactly. Consumerism is our next one. I think this one's going to be initially one most people agree with. But when we start to unpack it, there might be some a little bit of pushback or conviction even as to what we mean when we say your church has a consumeristic view in its members or in, in its attendees, if you will. How do we want to break that down? Yeah, this one's sort of a moving target, I think, yep. would be probably less specific than the others and mm-hmm. really could be embedded in the, um, in the first two in part and maybe even the next one, age-specific memories. Not ministries not ne- not necessarily basically you take the 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 worldly virtue of consumerism and you say we basically we am th- thinking from the perspective of church pastors and staff we need to offer the maximum amount of choices for our people so that regardless of wherever they're at in life and whatever they desire we've got a choice for them yeah and you can pick and choose. Hey, you're older, we got a hymn only service. You're mm-hmm. younger, we got a blended service. Well, that's that's a problem right there. Yeah. <laughs> in the diversity of the church. Yeah. Let's intentionally bifurcate our older and younger people so, yep. so Timothy too can't actually happen. Yep. Let's do that. Yeah. It is where basically you you center everything on the church around your personal preferences, your need in life, rather than around is this a faithful church because it meets these specific things that I find in scripture. Right. Um, I mean, I, I thought. What you have anything to add on that? We can move right on to number four, really, for that one. I mean, that I would. I would add one little thing because a lot of what you said was from the perspective of the leadership of the church. Mm-hmm. I would challenge to reflect inwardly as well. Mm-hmm. Not just is the truck sh- church structured as consumeristic. Are you attending church as a consumer? Are you there purely to receive? and not to give. Amen. Are you there to reap and not sow? Because while I think it's easy to avoid consumeristic churches, it is difficult to avoid consumerism in your heart when you go to church. Mm, That's a great point. So when you go to church Sunday and the only thing you come away with is, I really don't prefer those songs, that should be a little bit of a prick towards maybe I'm here thinking about everything that benefits me and not the other believers in the church because mm-hmm. you know we you could attend a very healthy church that has nothing to do no consumeristic tendencies whatsoever yet you go as a consumer you're still coming away with the results that we're talking about here affecting negatively towards church community because now it all comes centered around you and the individual not the corporate local church being built and glorifying God. That was the one little thing I would add there. That's a great point. Yeah, that, that goes right with the fact that consumerism is the antithesis of the gospel of grace. Yeah. When you come to church, it's all about you, all about <laughs> your needs. It goes back to this idea of low commitment, an unhealthy view of church member, the idea that, hey, I want to come to church and I want people to love me. Yep. I want people to edify me. I want me and my family to be fed well. As you're sitting and consuming and consuming and consuming, Failing to realize that the 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 gospel of grace comes and the love of God is poured out on us, yeah. not so that we're an end unto ourselves, but so that 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 love might then overflow and be poured out into others. Yeah, um, that's a great point, bro. So these last two, 
I think are going to cause the most pushback, I think, when we talk about age-specific ministries and hired staff, probably more so the age-specific ministries. How can age-specific ministries be detrimental or subtract from community in the church? I appreciate that you said can. 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 So what often happens is you – at a church, you'll have a ministry for teenagers, a ministry for children, a ministry for old people, ministry for singles, a ministry for single old people. Single. <laughs> that's a that's a really. Like, uh, oh, I'm saying you got college yeah. and career oh, aged, yeah. and then you got college and career aged single, and, oh, yeah. college, and married with kids, and oh yeah, all of it. Yeah, the different stages of life. Man, if you've got singled and old, you've got a pretty diverse diverse church there. right there. What can happen is you begin to section off the the church community into yeah. all these little churches, and what happens then is people are are more excited and motivated to go to these groups or these age based ministries. Yeah. Everyone's like them there. Mm-hmm. There's common love there, common similarities there. And then they go to corporate worship and they're like, this is, I'm not really ministered here yeah. like in these groups. Now, you can do age-specific ministries in a way that maximally upholds a gospel-revealing community. Yeah. But you've got to be very intentional on how you do that. And so one example is I see a lot of times in youth ministry, that's always the easy target here. You you have a youth ministry and you basically youth ministry for many churches is VBS every week for teenagers. Mm. We got the games, we got the icebreakers, we got the quick 10 minute devotion with an emotional altar call. And then those same teenagers are encouraged to come to Lord's Day worship and they're nope. sitting there bored. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Or they graduate from high school. And they bounce. And then they're gone. And they're gone. Yep. You know, and so you can do it in a way that maximizes the whole community. But oftentimes what happens is you fracture the community into these age-based groups. Yep. Undermining the supernatural power of the gospel that's supposed to be the basis for the whole church. And I know we're hitting a bunch of... I don't want to say subjective things, but hard to measure things. So I'll give one indicator, if you will, of which direction that is going. If your church is built on age-specific ministries and its community is tied to that, look at your Sunday gathering, your corporate gathering. At best, it will be individualistic worship with no focus on community. Mm-hmm. Because all their community is bound up in the age specific. So when they gather together, you're going to see a fragmented individualistic approach towards the gospel. And you're going to have probably all the people attending those groups not attending church in a, in the Lord's Day. And when they are there, you are going to be seeing in worship – no edification of each other and building up of each other. It's going to be all inwardly focused. And then in the Word, they're only going to be wanting to be ministered to personally, not the church corporately. Versus if it's the other way around, you'll typically see, and again, a lot of unmeasurables here we're talking about, a heavy involvement and community altogether in the Lord's Day worship that overflows throughout the week into some of these different age groups and all these different things, age-specific or, or life-situation-specific things. So that 
to add some qualifications to what we're saying, there are ways that this can be done healthily, but there are many ways, I think, to do it unhealthily. Yeah, yeah. We want to give a caveat here, too, to just say we're covering a lot of ground, and there's a book we would recommend <laughs> yeah. that you should read, and, and uh, that book is by Jamie Dunlap and Mark Dever, and the name of it is... Compelling Community. Compelling Community. Yeah. That's right. And and in there, he's going to give lots of caveats about yeah. some of these things and speak of the benefits of them and, and the dangers of them and the yeah. questions we should be asking, yeah. right? We want to... Back to Ephesians three ten. Mm-hmm. Does our gospel, does our church community Point. reveal the wisdom of God? Yep. Or does it reveal just simply common love that can be found in the world? Mm-hmm. And these are some areas, you know, getting more specific in these last two, that can undermine that if we approach them wrongly. Number five, maybe we'll hit this one quickly, Dylan. Doubt it. Yeah, hired staff for ministry. Yeah. Let me just give you an example. So you notice your church building's getting full, and you notice that guests and and first-time visitors are having a hard time coming in. And so you say, you know what we need to do? We need to, whether paid or unpaid, we're going to appoint someone officially to run hospitality. Mm -hmm. Good desire, a need, right? We need to be hospitable to those. We need to help them come in and, and all those things, and maybe even give direction of where's what and where to go. But what can happen if you're not intentional about how you do this is you say to the church, hey, we now have a hospitality team. This person leads it. Here's our people on it. What can happen is you then relinquish and take from your people their their responsibility yep. to be hospitable, welcoming, and uh, inviting to visitors and to people who are coming to the church. Because that's someone else's job. That's someone else's job. They get to do that. They get to think about that. Oh, they're going to beat me there anyways. They're by the door. That's their thing. Or we've got a youth pastor and we've got youth leaders. And so, oh, I see a teenager there. I'm not going to go talk to him. I'm just some old guy. I have nothing to offer that young man. So I'm going to the youth pastors got that. They minister to them well. And you just, you can keep filling that out. Is it wrong to have uh, a youth pastor? Well, I don't think it's a straight up uh, yes or no, but there's a way to, there is a, it, let me let me phrase it backwards. Is there a wrong to have a pastor who in some way kind of focuses on ministering to students in the church? No, not necessarily. But there is a way to have that same ministry position that undermines yeah. the gospel revealing <laughs> community. Yeah. And I think what it also does in, in any of those applications is it focuses and places a higher importance on the task being performed than what's behind it. Meaning, it is important that people get greeted when they come in the door. So we're going to appoint someone to do it. The task has been accomplished, mission accomplished. When when we're instructed to do that in scripture, it has purpose behind it. The purpose isn't to greet them. The purpose is to build community. And now you've done the opposite by having two people who are appointed to do all the greeting. So now in an, in an effort to elevate the task above the purpose, you have done the opposite of what the word would call us to do. The purpose, the task, excuse me, is not engage the young people in the church purpose would be to minister to the gospel and build up the community. So now when you only have one person doing that, how do you reconcile Second uh, Timothy 2, just like you were saying earlier, where that older man in your illustration has valuable wisdom 
for that younger man that he absolutely needs to share. Mm. And now you have that being bypassed because checkbox the youth the, the, the youth that. the youth has been handled uh, and i think that's the danger that that points to and then i think ultimately where that leads to is potentially hiring directly people to fill roles from outside of the church meaning we need a technical director so we're going to put an ad on the internet and hire somebody, sometimes Christian, sometimes not. You need a director of worship experience. Oh, my gosh. That's real. Yeah, I interned at a church when I was younger. I think I was yeah, 16, 17 years old, where they just straight up hired an outside sound engineer. He was on staff because they had many weekly, they had a full-time school, they had three weekend services or something like that. It was down near Miami. And um, an on-staff sound engineer that was not a professing believer. Mm. He's just a local sound guy mm-hmm. who's really good and really professional and collects a paycheck. So now how but, – but the task is getting done mm-hmm. because that's not important. The sound sounds good, and now we can minister the gospel. Mm-hmm. When it's vitally important <laughs> – that everyone in those roles is contributing to building up the church. And now you have someone that's the opposite of that by nature of not being a Christian, fulfilling a role that he shouldn't be fulfilling. This is, here's something anecdotal here. So this is not just with sort of a staff led model, but it also is kind of in a low commitment model, age specific, all all these really. I've had someone say to me before, I'm just at a place in my life right now where I don't feel like I need to serve in any way. I just feel called to be a church member. I said, and then he explained. He said, I don't feel called to be a deacon, though I was one once did that. I don't want to be an usher. I don't want to pass the offering plate. I don't feel called to lead any men's ministry or anything. I said, I said, wait a second, wait a second. You're naming all of these things that may or may not be ways to serve the church, mm-hmm. but you said you feel called to be a church member. Well, amen, you're a Christian, yeah. and you're called to join a local church. You're called to bind yourself to that local church, and you're called to something far weightier than to passing the offering plate Absolutely. each Sunday, than to be a greeter. You're called to love one another. Mm-hmm. You're called to encourage one another. And there's not a time in your life as a Christian, young to old, working or retirement, where you're released from that duty. Yep. You know, the reality is all Christians are to be meaningfully and self-consciously committed to a particular body of believers acting as providers rather than as consumers. And this then indicates whether or not they're a mature Christian, their view of that and their view of the local church. Yep. And, this, and this also is regardless of how mature you are as a Christian. You're like, well, I need to get – I need to – I need to grow a little bit in the faith before I serve. No, you've been called. You 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 have the Holy Spirit of God. Love the people in your church that you're bound to. You might not be able to lead a men's study. You might not be able to do anything, any of those things. But you can pray on Sunday, Lord, give me a conversation this morning that I can encourage someone with the gospel. And it might just be as simply as having a conversation with someone saying, hey, let me share with you some things the Lord has been teaching me from the book of fill yeah, in the blank. Absolutely. And you have no idea how the Spirit of God takes that conversation you and your immaturity as a Christian, where you're at, and he blesses that person because you just reminded them of a simple and profound truth, and they might even be a mature Christian that yeah. they've forgotten. Yeah. 
So the idea is I'm not going to serve. I'm just going to be a church member. is a contradiction by very virtue yeah. of you being a Christian. You've been called to serve, mm-hmm. not in some kind of official yeah. ministry capacity, but in something far greater and far more important. Yeah. So when we look at true church membership and building of community, I think we can hit a few quick things that that should be present in the body of the local church. There, Like you just said, there is a calling to this. There is a commitment to not passing the offering plate or sharing in a devotion, but that the Lord has called you to this. This is not a passive act. You have been called and commissioned to do these things, that we're to be committed to each other, to love one another. We see it in Romans 12, 13 through 16, to encourage one another. And and here's a big one. How do you do that? By gathering together mm. regularly and in person to encourage and love one another. I I use this when all the telehealth started popping up and you have these doctors performing remote procedures with, you know, iPads and stuff like that. And this was a person that was in the medical community that I was having this conversation with. And I'm like, dude, a teledoctor is just as good as going in person. (laughs) Absolutely not. I'm like, dude, it's the same content. It's the same information. He's seeing me. I'm seeing him. It's okay. And he says, no, because there's things that you don't even know how to express that a doctor can see. And when he can put hands on you and touch you and and see these reactions and these things that are almost not even detectable, but when you're in person, it's there, he can do his job better. And I said, oh, what, just like church attendance? Mm. (laughs) Mm. There's clearly a difference. When you're interacting in person, when you're building up and loving and edifying and discipling in person, there is something that cannot be replicated through a monitor. And that we should be formal in this commitment, that we should be serious about this commitment. It is not simply a take it or leave it. I'm here or maybe I'm not. I'm involved but not really committed. Uh, and I go back to marriage in this illustration. There, There is a sign of that. There is a, a, a literal We can tell who you belong to and where you belong because it's right there on you. Mm. So to deformalize church membership or community, depending how you want to word this, I think takes away from an aspect that's clearly there in Scripture. Any other ones you want to add to that before we, we close? No, I, th- I think as we close, you know, the question we want all of our churches to be asking, and we, we are asking this question humbly of our church as well, is, is when we're seeking to define success in our church and we're trying to look at our goals and our targets for nurturing a community in our church, is it consistent with the Scripture's definition of the church? Is it, is it consistent with the definition of success I see explained in Ephesians 3.10? Does our gospel, does our community point and magnify the supernatural work of God in our midst? Or does it just look like everything else we find in the world and just has to ha- it happens to have a Christian cross stamped yeah. on it? Yeah. And I, I think those are questions we would... We would want to ask and continue to ask as our churches grow and as we seek to conform our churches to Scripture. And if you haven't read the book, get the book. There's far more to be said here. There's far more nuance given in the book. I think it's a yep. helpful resource for the church. Yeah, absolutely. In addition to that, I would recommend uh, – man, I don't remember the author. I am a church member. Tom Rainer. 
by Tom Rainer. I think that is a, if Compelling Community is a bit of a long read or you're struggling to get through the first few chapters, this one is a very short approach to similar topics that I think um, might be a good primer or a good thing for a newer uh, church member or, or maybe your teenager could get through this really quick and apply it like next week versus something that's a little bit more of a fleshed out academic approach like uh, compelling community but both are are great to go through for sure i think that pretty much wraps us up thanks again for listening to pilgrim talk and once again we'd encourage you to visit us on facebook you can search theology for sojourners that is the word for f-o-r and again if you found this episode helpful or you know someone that might benefit from it go ahead and share it with your friends 